the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, how do we as Christians learn about and pray for what's going on in Afghanistan right now? And then how do churches end up with domineering bullies for pastors? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Finally, alongside Aubrey Sampson. I am Samson. back. Did you miss me, Brian? I missed you very much. Aubrey, back from vacation after a nice week off. So we're going to hear about that later in the show. Can't wait to hear. I'm going to live vicariously through your vacation. And so today's a big day for Aubrey and I. Both of our oldest kids went back, back to, to school. high school today. Yep. We're going to talk about that later, too. But, Aubrey, there's nowhere else that we can start today. Right. Except that all of what's going on in Afghanistan oh, right now. Just as horrifying. you're watching what's going on, just just a little bit of thoughts from you. I mean, it's just absolutely horrifying. I feel like it's a nightmare coming through that the Taliban seems to be taking over. Kabul is falling. I, I, I mean, d- death is happening. The devastating video of the two, I guess, men falling mm-hmm. from the uh, airplane. Yeah. It's its just horrific. And obviously, we need to be mindful of what's going on and be praying. Yeah. And so if you're not caught up on what's going on in Afghanistan, we have two audio clips for you. One of them from Richard Engel in the Today Show this morning talking about what he sees. He's in on the ground over there. And then also today, President Biden, he spoke finally about this. A lot of people were waiting to hear from President Biden. So let's listen to these two clips. We went to Afghanistan almost 20 years ago with clear goals. Get those who attacked us on September 11, 2001, and make sure al-Qaeda could not use Afghanistan as a base from which to attack us again. We did that. We severely degraded al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. We never gave up the hunt for Osama bin Laden, and we got him. That was a decade ago. Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation-building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. Our only vital national interest in Afghanistan remains today what it has always been, preventing a terrorist attack on America's homeland. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. Afghans are thronging to Kabul's airport, desperate to get on planes and leave the country at any cost. They're scaling the airport's walls this morning, rushing in. There's no screening, no security checks, just force of numbers. When they do manage to push aboard planes, they're so crowded, pilots won't take off. And no one agrees to disembark. It's all happening just a few hundred yards from the military side of Kabul airport, now separated by a row of barbed wire from the civilian side in chaos. The militants took control of Kabul yesterday. We watched them move in. Kabul is falling now. We've just left our office, our longtime home in Afghanistan, and we're heading to a safer location, what we hope will be a safer location. Already we've seen some gunmen who look like Taliban on the streets, and all of the government checkpoints, all the police, all the soldiers, they're gone. Now 
The Taliban are out in full force. They took over the presidential palace, occupied Kabul's version of the Oval Office. Afghanistan's president fled the country. So, Aubrey, just craziness. Just you watch it and you know you're watching history and I don't know what to make of it. I would encourage people to follow a friend of the show on Twitter, uh, David French. David, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe served in Afghanistan. Yes, he did. And so he's had some, he wrote an article at the Dispatch. He's kind of giving a lot. I want to more step back because you and I, we're not foreign policy people. We don't know. But but in its totality, uh, I have found myself this weekend when watching the news and watching about Afghanistan, uh, watching about that um, earthquake in Haiti. Yes. Watching about, uh, even I turned on the news last night and the first story of the local news was about a six-year-old and a seven-year-old sisters mm-hmm. who got shot in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we think about the gun violence in Chicago mm-hmm. and, and it, it just felt really, really overwhelming. Yeah, a lot happening. Even though yeah. none of it's like, you know, I don't know anybody in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody in Haiti, mm-hmm. but it, it can be overwhelming. And with that in mind, Scott Saul is another friend of the show. He wrote on Twitter this, and then I'd love for you just to respond how yeah. you process all the news. He said, uh, Taliban having its way again, more genocide in Myanmar, decimating earthquake in Haiti, COVID resurgence, dividing communities and messing up the equilibrium. Now is a time for tears and redemptive anger and pleading prayer Come, Lord Jesus. I mm. wanted you to react to all the news that we see going on. Yeah, right now. I mean, this is certainly, you know, I don't say this lightly. I did write a book on lament. This mm-hmm. is a time for lament. How long, oh Lord, this is a time for us to be on our knees praying, asking God to come and to do what only God can do in situations like the situations that are so evil and awful. I'm also just thinking of the hurricanes that are now headed towards the Dominican Republic, even Haiti, nope. which was just hit majorly by this earthquake. And um, you know, I think this is also a moment for Christians to be, like I said, lamenting, praying, crying out to God. I think sometimes we feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. when we see all of this news happening at once, but we forget that we actually have supernatural power. And the Bible is filled with stories of normal people on their knees, mm-hmm. interceding, and God showed up. And yeah. so I think we can't we cannot forget the power of our prayer. I was actually reading something from Generation Distinct, which our friend Hannah Granowski is an organization that she runs for the mm-hmm. next generation. But they're calling people to pray for different things. And let me just list them yeah, quickly. Please. Pray for the underground Christian church in Afghanistan. It's mm. the second gr- fastest growing network in the world. Many of them are anticipating meeting their creator in the next two weeks, mm. assuming they'll be killed by the Taliban. Two, pray for Afghan women and young girls. Females are especially vulnerable. Mm. They practice ritualistic practices of rape, trafficking, violent abuse. Pray for their protection. Then third, this is a hard one, pray for the Taliban. Mm. God commands us to pray for our enemies. Pray that they have a supernatural encounter with Jesus, that they repent of their evil and wicked ways, lay down their weapons, and cease violence. I think that's a good reminder for us. Yeah, Joe Carter over at the Gospel Coalition, he wrote another article called How to Pray for the Taliban. It's exactly what you just said. Mm. And and even reading that, I go, I don't want to read that. Yeah, right, there's no right. part of me, but he says... Pray for the conversion of the Taliban, yeah. like pray for that. They will re- be restrained from doing evil. Pray they'll receive divine justice. Uh, 
And it just is a reminder. I I think, Aubrey, it's a first of all is a good reminder. We got to pray. That's it. Because we can get on social media. We can rail. We can become partisan. Mm -hmm. We can. I don't know what the U.S. government should be doing. Mm -hmm. I don't have the first idea what we should have been doing 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Trump administration, Obama, Bush, Biden. I don't know who's at fault here. And of course, you want to learn and you want to know these things. But I do know that, that we've been called as Christians to pray, not just for my own life. Not, but but for this family in Chicago or and this and for yeah. the people of Haiti. But that's now right. today, right there on our screens for the craziness that's going on in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. We're going to see disturbing pictures, more of them as this comes yeah, out. I have no doubt. Sure. And uh, and I do think we wanted to start today's show by going. What does it look like for the church to be the church? Pray for the Afghan church and believe that God is more powerful than the Taliban. That's and right. This, that, that we can trust him. So this is the news everybody's talking about. We wanted to start with a little bit of encouragement towards prayer as we all grapple with the pictures and the videos that we are seeing. Well, coming up next, as I said, I am excited that my co-host is back. We're going to talk about your vacation. And not only that, we're then going to ask uh, why even go on vacation? Mm, good what is the power of rest and recharge and Sabbath? We're going to do that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a Monday afternoon. Blue skies, 80 degrees. Well, this is when you should be vacationing in Chicago right now. Oh. This is like when it's good. But right. Hey, uh, as I've been saying, uh, if you were listening to the show last week, we really hope you were. If you weren't, where were you? What were you doing? What, what, what could have been better for you Seriously. to be doing? But I did much of the show by myself last week. Poor the Brian. reason being, <laughs> The reason being is that my co-host here, Aubrey, was on a family vacation. Yes, and so it was wonderful. I never told anybody where you were. Thank that, you. That you went all the way to Rockford. But then... <laughs> I went to the Holiday Inn in Rockford, <laughs> Illinois. Yep. Tell great. us about your vacation. Let's, uh, let's, we, we, the first segment was all hard news. I need a cleanse. I need a palate oh, cleanser. So tell me about your vacation. Yeah, we, you know... We've been gone because of grad school and because of other things. We haven't actually gone on vacation. Our son was starting high school today. So um, we went to a little town in the panhandle of Florida and we spent the time, you know, just in the water. We were able to socially distance. We were able to order food in. We were able to really keep to ourselves. But it was beautiful and wonderful and so good. And I feel like I'm a little braggy and privileged right now. Oh, it's good. It was fantastic. If you you know me well enough to know that. You love vacation. I love vacation. vacation Somebody made a comment the other day to me like, oh, uh, they somehow like hinted that I don't go on vacation. I'm like, oh no! If there's one thing that I do, <laughs> I go on vacation. Yes, which I, I like do. about what you. What well, were some of the fun things in Florida? I, I saw mean, a picture of your husband with an enormous fish. Yeah, we went deep sea fishing, which is something our whole family enjoys. Our youngest is not quite into it yet, but he will. But I mean, I even like fishing, so we had so we had a lot of fun uh, doing that. We caught a lot, caught some. For fish people that care. We caught amberjacks you and we caught, we caught mingos. <laughs> we didn't catch fish people. <laughs> we caught all kinds of stuff. We, we Some great catches, some really big fish. And then honestly, we just enjoyed being together, being on the beach. And then we would like come back to our little, we got a little condo, not quite on the beach because that was a little more expensive, but off the you know beach. But it had a pool. So then we would swim in the awesome. pool. And it was just great. We played games. It was awesome. So people might know this about me. I am a beach person. I grew up on the East Coast. Like If there's any vacation I can do, That's it's to it. the beach. Yeah. It's to the, and so I'm totally a beach person. Uh, also, 
a deep sea fishing story. I went, my family with some of my wife's family went to Nantucket last summer. Cool. And uh, we went out, and the cool thing, uh, the th- me and two of my brother-in-laws and my son Jackson and my nephew Charlie. So the five of us went deep sea fishing. Yeah. And uh, there was a positive and a negative. The positive side is my son caught a, like, a shark. That's awesome. It's the craziest thing. That's awesome. The the bad news was that on two or three separate occasions, I got motion sickness and threw up in the water. Oh, you did? Oh, that's terrible. But I, you felt fine. You're like, I actually had to take motion sickness oh, medication man. or I couldn't be on the boat. It yeah. was something. Wow. You uh, caught a shark. That's cool. That's what we want to do next time is actual shark fishing. Well, that's not what we were doing. And you just caught one. To say he caught it. It was on the line when he was catching something else. Yeah. No, it oh. worse than that. The kind of the boat captain. It was his line, and he let my son. Oh, reel it that's in. what they do, though. That's what you pay him <laughs> well, to they, do, right? They know that that helps your <laughs> yes. go up and up. The the other thing, and then I want to talk about a bigger topic around this idea of vacation. But I do. I I should start getting my guest co-host for your inevitable COVID out because you're in Florida. I know. So that is definitely like I almost don't want to say that we're in Florida. I did put it on social media, so it's out there. But I'm like, oh, we. We were right in the like Delta variant central. So you were swimming in. We were literally. I mean, I'm vaccinated. My husband's vaccinated. My oldest son is vaccinated. My younger two aren't old enough yet, and so we were very careful with them. We were. We literally were like hand sanitized, wear your masks. But but we'll see. I'm definitely like. Maybe I'm in the studio giving you COVID right now, Brian. So Thank you for I'll that. let you know. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, so here's a question pastorally. Yes. Let's talk to people out there. Yes. There might be people who are going, you know what? Uh, I am just never, I don't take, I'm not good at taking breaks. Yeah. I'm not good at taking, and this, you don't have to go to Florida. You don't have no. to go to, you could go to the Dells. Yeah. You could just take a week of staycation. Yep. Uh, make the case that for the Christian, mm. um, disconnecting mm-hmm. is not a is not just a good idea, but it is a commandment and it is essential. Yeah, I mean, again, like you said, vacation doesn't have to be to Florida or whatever, but whatever you can do, we are called to be people of Sabbath. And that's actually a reminder of our identity because mm-hmm. we are no longer slaves. Literally, I mean, God, Sabbath... You know, started with God's people in Israel rescued from slavery. Well, it started in the garden, but rescued from slavery. God said, you're no longer slaves. Therefore, you will rest. Mm. And so I think that's a reminder for us to remember who we are as God's children. We are invited simply to rest, to be, to enjoy God's good creation, to be with our loved ones, to refill our souls in that way. And then Mm -hmm. for me, like I unplugged from social media totally because it doesn't feel like a true Sabbath. If I'm feeling like I have to engage online. Um, And then you kind of, then it gives you the strength you need, I think, to get back to the real world as well. Yeah. I I know for me, I remember preaching a sermon on Sabbath and not having given it much thought. This was back probably in 2005, 2006, never having given it too much thought and just reading a book. And this is going to sound really basic to some of you out there going, Oh, wait, Sabbath was not a commandment that thankfully Jesus did away with. Mm. It was an an invitation and a blessing mm. that is still at play yeah. and is still uh, and, and then, you know, we've got all the reasons, right? Jesus went off on his own. Yep. Um, you know, God rested God during rested. creation, like yeah. all of these things. And I think we know that when we ignore this, like how, how do you put it? Through? You're either going to choose to Sabbath. Or one's going to be thrust Life's upon gonna you. Life's going to make you Sabbath <laughs> yes. because you'll get really sick. You'll have a nervous breakdown. Yep. You'll have a heart attack. You'll all kinds of things. What yep. does rest, recharge, Sabbath look like for you? 
when you're not on vacation, but we're talking in your normal yes. rhythm. Yes. I would say for me, it involves time in the morning. That is my most sacred time. I, I Again, I'm in a season where I can do this. So I never want young moms to hear this and think they have to, because if you have young babies at home, you cannot do this, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. God sees you. God is with you. But now that my kids are older... I can get up early and actually tend to my own needs before I have to tend to my family. So I can have my Bible study. I can have my cup of coffee. I can do a little reading. I can do a little journey journaling. That is life-giving to me where maybe like Kevin likes to go ride a bike or go on a run because that's life-giving for him. But we start our days Sabbathing Mm -hmm. so that we can like, continue to do ministry and pour into other people and just, you know, do things life demands of you. What does Sabbath look like for you on a regular basis? Yeah, I I think for me, it is uh, getting outside and, you know, taking a walk. Mm, Yeah, Uh, that's awesome. In the middle of my day, I will be honest, I used to Sabbath a lot easier and better when I didn't have two jobs. Right. And that's (laughs) one of the struggles. And I think everybody needs to understand that Monday used to be a nothing day for me. Yeah. And now it's a work day. And now this is when we do a lot of radio stuff. People don't know this is when we do a lot of our planning and stuff. And that's why I'm not doing my church job, but I'm doing my radio job. Mm -hmm. And and I bring that up to say that doesn't then let me off the hook of needing to rest and recharge on Sabbath. It just makes it different. Yeah. Because some of you out there, you've got pride issues that say, well, I can't (laughs) if I do it, the world's going to collapse. Yeah. My business is going to collapse. It's not. It's not going to. If if Jesus could take breaks, mm-hmm. then so could you. And so uh, I thought that was an important conversation around the idea of your uh, your vacation. Oh, I was very jealous of you back. last week. I know. I'm still jealous of myself. I do come back from vacation and think to myself, what's the next vacation? Yeah, I feel a little <laughs> like I always get a little post-vacation blues. Like, yep. okay, okay, get back, get back. Here we go. Well, doing this show will help with that. That's so right. we right. are good. Well, coming up next, uh, uh, you heard me talk last week about the latest episode of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, but I want to get Aubrey's take on it. And then we're going to have a bigger discussion. How do churches even end up with domineering bullies for pastors? Going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside a dancing Aubrey Sampson. My name is <laughs> what Brian I do in the Fromm. Studio. That is what you do. So each week, somebody asked me the other day, they said, Are you, have you been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill? And I was like, it's so weird. Every And I know we're in the pastor world yeah. and the Christian radio world, but everybody I've talked to uh, not only is listening to it, but is like, it's so good. It's so well done. Uh, obviously, there's those kind of people on Twitter who like to critique it yeah, and every sure. now and then. And you're just like, come on. They love themselves. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But. Uh, I talked about last week's episode, but you were on vacation Mm -hmm. last week's uh, episode had much. I found it fascinating talking about um, eldership and staff and just dynamics of leadership at uh, Mars Hill. And it was just really eye opening. And again, they're building a case so that you can kind of see, oh, this is why it collapsed itself. But what do you think about this last episode? Yeah, I actually had mixed feelings about. Uh, this episode like most episodes I'm like no way you know (laughs) and like my jaw is on the ground this one I almost felt like I I'm going to critique it a little bit I wish after I just said the people who critique it (laughs) I'm going to be that person I think I wish Cosper would have focused on the spiritual abuse of the elders more than some of the leadership stuff because I actually felt Mm. like that was the heart of the sin and the heart of the heartache and abuse was how those elders were treated and fired. And I actually thought it was really meaningful that 
some of the other elders came back and repented from that time. Um, but the the way they treated their families, the way they treated mm. their wives, I think that was more of the story than he was critiquing some of uh, Driscoll's leadership style mm-hmm. and uh, his sort of vision for like reclaiming the city. And that to me just felt like that's what leaders do. Mm-hmm. I, that part wasn't as shocking or as like scandalizing to me because I feel like leaders get a vision from God to go after their city. Like yeah. that's part of why church plants work. I think what fascinated me about this episode, I said this to somebody, a friend of mine the other day, I said, a, I've never been a part of a church, even around a church, where there's a quote-unquote trial. <laughs> that, that was shocking. Unbelievable. What? Why is there a trial? That's what I was like. Why is there even a trial? I've I, never been a part of that either. I've never known a church to do that. And secondly, if you – okay. If you were – maybe I just don't think highly enough of church governance. But if you were in a church mm-hmm. and, the, and, and they were putting on trial – I'm using air quotes mm-hmm. – somebody who was a friend of yours mm-hmm. – and the lead pastor or the head elder got up and said, they're guilty of whatever. And part of, we do not want you to talk to that person anymore. Wouldn't you be like, I'm out of here. I'd be like, you're nuts. Yeah. That's crazy talk. Yeah. That's not, not the church. Not a chance. Like, <laughs> you didn't tell me who I can and can't. I, that's one of the biggest thing that blew me away. Uh, that people were like, we will go along with this. Yes. No, it was shocking. And and, and no one called, the, at least the one elder said, no one called his wife. Yeah. It was unbelievable to me. And it makes heartbreaking. You, and, and I do think that at the end, it was both, it, it was it was good that, that they said when everything started to fall, all the elders wrote a letter to these other guys saying you were wrong, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. But you had to have seen it in the moment. How did they miss it in the <laughs> like, moment? How did they miss it in the moment? Oh, it's just so painful. And I know, I mean, listen, you and I are both church leaders. There are always two sides to every story, yep. period. Yep. Okay? There just are. And so, you know, I don't know why they felt like that was the right move to make. Mm. But I'm with point. you. If I, <laughs> if my, I mean, my husband is one of my pastors, it's a little tricky, but if, if I went to your church, Brian, and you were like, you may not talk to X, Y, Z because they are being excommunicated from church, I'd be like, you are a dictator. You are not a pastor. You need to repent before the yeah. Lord. This is not okay. I'd just be like, okay, I understand what you're saying. That they can, I'm fine if they don't come to our church anymore. It's great, but yeah. we're still going to hang out. So, Like, we're still friends. As we say each week, if you are not listening to the rise and fall of Marcel, I would really encourage you to do it. I have to be careful about my podcast now. I told you today that I started to listen to gangster capitalism about <laughs> oh Jerry Falwell and Liberty. Oh my. I made it I made it one and a half episodes and said I if I don't turn this off, I'm I'm going to just I don't know what I'm going to do. It's so bad. That one is really, really difficult to listen to. I stopped kind of midway because I was yes. like, I get it. They're corrupt and awful. This is sin and, and gross and nastiness and no one needs oh. to I mean, people need to know, I think, to be awaken to what happened there but like no yeah it's also (laughs) maybe because it's not a christian podcast they're not necessarily showing where god has been doing work behind the scenes that's true that's (laughs) true oh yeah that's a rough one so one of the questions we keep asking especially around the rise and fall of mars hill is what sam alberry asked way back in january of 2019 at the gospel coalition he wrote an article that says this how do churches end up with domineering bullies for pastors in the first place Mm, great question that's a question how would without looking at what he had to say how would you answer that because you do you look at the mars hill story you look at these other stories and you go 
How often are do we just see bullies in, as pastors? Do we just see yeah. domineering and uh, and that's just not the biblical picture of a pastor. So how would you answer that question? How do churches end up in the spot? I think it happens in two ways. And I can speak for the American church only. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, One, it happens because those domineering pastors are also such charismatic mm-hmm. Bible teachers or uh, communicators yes. that you are magnetized by their anointing, quote unquote anointing, that you often overlook or don't see what's happening behind the scenes. Um, but let me add, let me make it three. Two, things are happening behind the scenes and people are covering because yeah. the church is growing. Yeah. Good things are yeah. happening, right? Three, and Brian, you're, I don't know how you're going to feel about this. This, to me, is the, is the problem with patriarchy and male-only leadership in the church. We, we assume that this specific type of male who is like alpha male and leader, blah, 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 is the one that God has chosen. This only leads to disaster. There have to be more women in leadership with men. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's hard to hold the opposite position and listening to this. Uh, I would say that there's a unique brokenness to that leadership, to the Driscolls, to the other, you know, we can make a list of other people. Uh, I do think also, as I've listened to this, I've tried to put myself in the shoes of people who went to that church or who Mm. were elders in this last one. I would have to think, I think you're 100% right in all of these in terms of like, uh, you get blinded by the fruit. You get yeah. blinded by what you see. You start yeah. making concessions. I also think that you can lose track when listening to something about this, about the timeline. Interesting. And you can It doesn't go, happen overnight. Exactly. Yeah. And fair. so, hey, yeah. I started, I was at the beginning of this and Mark Driscoll was this. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, five years later, he might be the opposite, but you've been there for year one, year two, mm-hmm. year three. And you, it's almost like that old thing about the frog and the boiling water and- it That's just happens slowly over time. Yeah. And I think there's something to that where you make little concession after little concession after little concession. And now when they're doing the autopsy f- 10 years later, they're going, of course, it's so obvious. It's so obvious it's it was so leading to this, obvious. but when you're in the moment, you may not notice it. Yeah, so that's true. I want to close with what Alberry says here at the Gospel Coalition article. He says, what's the antidote to domineering leadership? He says the antidote to being domineering then is to lead by example rather than by coercion. First Peter chapter five, verse three says not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of to the flock. Mm. Another way to say this is the leader that you're following. Are they good example? Are they a good example to follow? Uh, and he says, again, there's authority in the office of an elder. There'll be times a pastor needs to call for that office to be respected and honored. But ultimately it should be because the leaders point them to Christ by their example. So you brought up their words. The words are important, yeah. but do they by example point people to Christ and spur them on to love and good deeds? I think as we listen to this podcast, those are the questions that we keep asking ourselves. How do churches keep finding themselves in these positions? I think Albury gets at it. All right, we're going to bring back Aubrey next. Something that Ian and I used to do Ooh, here and you okay. have never done. It's a little segment we like to call Grinds My Gears. We're <laughs> Sounds gonna, fun. We're I gonna, can't wait. Oh, it's going to be fun. We're going to do it next year on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. That is a song we have not heard it for a while here wow, on The Common Good. that is hardcore. It is, and it gets us into a little segment we've done. Ian and I used to do this all the time. Let me give you some background. It okay. is called Grinds My Gears, the same way 
that that music is called Grinds My Gears. And Aubrey, here's how it worked. Ian and I used to, uh, we decided we needed a spot to vent. Okay. And so this is personal venting okay. about things that annoy us or bother us. You want to be a little careful. Yeah. Somebody might saying. be listening. But but just things that grind your gears. Okay, so you're not going dark on this. You can. You're just venting about, okay, I mean, you know, I don't want to, like, make the people discouraged. And, oh, this, every now and then we need to just get okay, stuff okay, out. Okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. And so I think I hear the, what brought this to mind for me today is something that you and I are both going through. Uh, both of us, our high schoolers started school today. Uh, so you're, uh, how did it go, by the way, freshman? I know, freshman. I think it went better for him than for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a freshman. I have a senior. Wow. Oh, that's a different. That's a whole different emotion. A whole yeah. different emotion. And she had a, like a two-hour day on Friday or three-hour day okay. on Friday. But today was the first full day of school. And so uh, here's what it is. <clears throat> here's what grinds my gears about what's going on in our schools right now. Uh, you and I both are going through this in both of our school districts. Uh, our high schoolers started today. And our junior hires and elementary school kids start in like two weeks. Yeah, they're like two weeks. And then that flips itself at the end of the year. Yes. The high schoolers get out, and then the uh, the other ones get out two weeks later. It's crazy. And all that it does is make my summer shorter. It makes your summer shorter. And for me, it ruins my whole like child care plan because my high schooler helps watch my little kids, and now he's gone. There so you like, go. I have to change my whole work schedule, carpool, sc- everything because of it. So did that feel good to vent about that a little bit? That's it. Thank you for this. Thank that's, you for grinds my gears. I get it now. I get it. my gears. It's okay. just your chance to go, hey, I know for the rest of you out there, you might be like working crazy jobs yeah. or you're going through a lot. Yeah. So this seems small, but this is about me. Right now, this is going to be about me, and I just need to get some stuff. Okay, off you're just going to get some things off your so chest. So, do you have one for us? Okay, I do have one. Okay, I, wow, I, this is really this is harder than I thought it would be because I feel a sense of like, but we love you, school district. We love you, teachers. Uh, but no, we're not. Okay, oh. I'm just going to unadulterated say it. Yep. All right, this one is actually about Starbucks. I love <laughs> Starbucks. Uh, Brian's drinking a Starbucks right now, an mm-hmm. iced tea. If you couldn't have guessed. I um, also love the environment. I, I would say I, 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 I care going. for the environment. <laughs> I know where you're Starbucks going. Starbucks has, uh, across the nation, started this new policy where they make you drink your ice drinks out of these terrible paper straws. I hate the paper straws. And I hate the paper straws. They like (laughs) melt in your mouth and fall apart after 30 seconds. And I swear it's performative environmentalism because here's the thing. They still have plastic cups. That's right. They have these. I don't know if you know this. They used to make these like their own Keurig machines. They stopped making the K cups, the whatever, the Starbucks cups for them, but no other cups fit in them. So literally these machines are now going into landfills everywhere because they stopped making the cups that you need for them. <laughs> Starbucks may care about the environment, but there's a lot more they can do than these dumb paper straws. They could switch to compostable plastic straws. Like there are other options. The paper straws grinds. My gears. You did it. Did I do it right? You did it yes. perfectly. You're already better than Ian Simpkins was at this. <laughs> Obviously. Ian, Ian, for some reason, could never could never complain. Just, could never <laughs> just complain. life is good for him. One of these days, we need to call him, and when he picks up the phone, just immediately start the, like, the music. <laughs> the song and see what he does. It, well, all right. Let me give you one. All right. <sighs> okay. This happened to me last week. Okay. And uh, I uh, here, here you go. You're sitting at a restaurant. Okay. Yep. And the waiter comes up. So you, you're there with your family. And the waiter, there's four or five of you sitting around the table. Yeah. Waiter comes up, says, hey, uh, you know, let me take your drinks. 
and you start telling him. Yes. And you realize he's not writing anything down. Oh, he doesn't write it down. Yep. And then you order your food <laughs> and he doesn't write anything down. And I, uh, I've actually said this to a waiter before. Write it down. <laughs> I will not be more impressed by your ability to remember your only job. You have one job, <laughs> and that's to get this right. So I don't care if you write it. I don't care if you speak it into right, your phone. Right. I think the least. I just want you to get my order right. The least likely way that you're about to get my order correct <laughs> is by not writing anything down. True. So the other day, we were at a restaurant. The guy doesn't write anything down. Oh, come on. And he got our order wrong. Of course he did. And it, oh, it drives me up a wall. <laughs> now, do you think his manager makes him do that? Or that's like a choice? No, that's I a think, waiter, a personal I waiter think it's choice. it's a waiter flex. But I'm like, man, you better be really <laughs> you good You better be this. on if you're going to do this. A hundred percent. Like, you better be really on. And, the, the, and then they get it wrong. And you're like... What the heck? Also, as a, an aside, when yeah. they forget to bring you your drinks. No, that makes me crazy. That happened to us the other day, yeah. too. I'm like, how long are you expecting me to drink water? <laughs> I am su- I am such an American at restaurants. I'm like, where Where are you? Where's the service? Like, I get a little bit high horsey. Okay, this is not a grinds my gears, but this reminded me of a pet peeve I have with waiters. <laughs> pet peeve is, I- is a nice way of saying grinds my gears. I hate when waiters like get on their knees at the table and start like bobbing up and down while they're taking your order. Like they're like want to get on your level and they're like, hey, how you guys doing today? I'm like, stand up. Just take my order. We're not friends here. This is not your, you don't need to be on my like playing field. Okay. That drives me crazy. Let's stay with restaurants. I got one more for you. Fast food restaurants. Okay, let's hear it. This happened to my son and I the other day. We went to a baseball game. Went to a King County Cougars game. That's a ton of fun. Fun. I love King County uh, Cougars. We we are driving back and we decided, you know what? It's like nine o'clock. I want ice cream. Yeah. We're going to get ice cream. And so we went to a particular establishment and uh, here's here's what my grinds my gears is. Slow drive-through lines. Oh, yeah. It's terrible like, right the now. The point of the drive-through. Is for quick service. Quick service. Yeah. That allows me to not get out of my car. Like yeah. it's it's different if I get there and I can see this enormous line. But it almost feels like um, false advertising to have a short line, but then it take a while still. We got to the point on our uh, vacation that we talked about earlier where we were getting out of the car and getting our food and bringing it out to the car because it was that. shorter in the restaurant than it was in the drive-in. So that's... times have changed. I think that's a COVID change that I don't like. So how did ground my gears feel? This is a, we're going to stick with this. I'm, one. I'm a fan. I can see why Doesn't you like feel this. Like yeah, just, getting getting stuff off your chest. Kind of there you go. Yeah, I like it. There you go. I like uh, it. One more winning thing for me from this weekend. Yeah, this I might have to bring this one back another time. We went to this King County Cougars game, big long line to like park, and we're we're pulling up. If you remember the King County Cougars, it's just a big field to park, and I see them walking towards us, and I turn to my son and I go, "They better take credit card." <gasps> And they come up and they're like, I'm like, do you take credit card? They're like, no, it's 10 bucks. Uh, I go, I, I don't, don't carry cash. cash. Who cares? Said, cash? Like, and I'm yeah. looking at all these cars going, all these people have cash. There's no way. The guy goes, did you wait in that line? And I tried not to be sarcastic. Yeah. It was all I could not to be like, nope, I just no, I just came. right there. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. And he's like, just go ahead. Nice. And then we kept going and a second guy stopped <gasps> us and was like, where's your ticket? And I said, I explained it again. Only have a credit card. I have no cash. I don't. I don't know. Hopefully, you don't make me turn yeah. around. 
And he goes, ah, just go and park. Yes. Winning. Way to go. So that's Grinds My Gears. We'll Love bring it. that back again. We're glad that you're joining us on this Monday. Stay with us. For Aubrey Sampson, I'm Brian Fromm. You are listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're talking about college students and what we can learn from the incoming freshman class. Then we're joined by Colin Hansen, Vice President for Content and the Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Monday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we hope you are enjoying this Monday afternoon. Brian, you and I both went to Wheaton College. For Christ in His Kingdom. For Christ in His Kingdom. Can you That's still right. sing the... You can not I'm not going to. Aww, I feel but sad yes, about that. Yes, I can. But yeah, you and I were just... We started doing this show, and we learned that we were only a year apart. We were at only Wheaton. a year apart. We <clears throat> knew a lot of mutual folks. I don't think that you and I ever met each other. We never met each other. Like, we might have... I'm sure it's not that big a campus. I'm sure we crossed paths We had our backpacks on and walked past each other. You were like a theater person. The the irony is that I knew your husband really well in college. I know, isn't that crazy? So it's not like I didn't know anyone in the year behind us. Your husband, Kevin, used to hang out in our apartment in our off-campus house. Like, I knew your husband really well. And then uh, I remember thinking that Kevin... This is off the topic, I know, but I remember... Hearing that I knew Kevin, and then I knew Kevin got married. Yeah, and uh, to somebody who went to Wheaton, I was like, my first thought was that you must have been a couple years behind us. Oh, funny, because you had never like never we did, had never but met. A, but then you're a theater person. Yeah, I was so. in my own little you world you over like, there in the theater. Different color hair back then. Oh yeah, I you know I was a theater kid, an artsy kid, so I had bright red hair and bright orange hair and bright whatever. You did? Yes, totally. I was you know hmm. I was a edgy. Edgy kid. And now you write Jesus books. And now I write Jesus books. Who knew? The girl with the red hair could one day love Jesus. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew? No, you never know. Okay, so Brian, do you remember much as a freshman? Like, what, when you came into your freshman year, what were you passionate about? What were you excited about? Do you remember any of that? Uh, that's funny. I've been having these conversations with my daughter because she goes to college next year. Lord oh, willing, she just started her senior year, so we've been doing a lot of college visits. And so I've been telling her things like, "Yeah, you know, when you go to school your freshman year, you know, you're just really worried. Like it's it's a mm-hmm. hard thing." I don't know that I was passionate about much. Right. I was uh, excited to be away from home, to be at college, to meet new people, to have the college experience. I don't think that I really had. I don't think that had anything altruistic that drove me in college. I was just like, you know, I, I was a follower of Jesus. Right. I was excited, but I you know, I was a good uh, self-focused college kid. How about you? I would say the same. I, I left uh, for Wheaton because I wanted to be away from home yep. and I wanted to be near Chicago. And I was excited to make friends. I was a little boy crazy. So excited to see all these cute boys from the north, you know, in their <laughs> north face jackets. I've never seen a north face jacket before. Oh, what is this? Puffy fashion. As an aside. Yeah. Me and a roommate of mine had north face jokes <laughs> that we made about Wheaton College. So that's I'll tell you this another time. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to do a whole segment on that. Some type of person. Who there wore was. North Face yes. and had a carabiner. Yes. And had this that is so Wheaton College. <laughs> this is, if you don't know Wheaton, you don't know what he's talking about, but I know exactly what Brian's talking about. So oh. I'm with you. I didn't necessarily go. Uh, passions developed in college. Yes. But I don't think I went with a whole lot of ideals besides like, I'm going to college. That's right. Woo! That's right. Okay. So then you and I were both youth pastors. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like, I mean, I mine were 
uh, junior high. So I think you actually pastored high school both. students, right? Oh, you did both. both. Okay. Mm-hmm. So did you feel like when, do you remember those students being passionate about, you know, issues? Nope. I remember those students, especially high school students being passionate. <laughs> I'm going to put it this way. Passionately wanting me to know that I was wrong or that their parents were wrong. <laughs> and I was the same way in high school, right? Like I can yeah. remember some of the most fruitful youth pastor days I had, like when I think of like our bigger youth group was when I wouldn't teach, but we'd instead do a discussion time. Mm. And I'll never forget doing one about is there absolute truth and just getting it in with the kids and they wow. were like, they wanted me to know. So no, I don't remember I don't remember them being passionate about more than themselves. Yeah, it's kind of the same. Sort of what and I you'd remember on, too. You'd go on mission trips, and there were the, the stuff would bubble. So yeah, God was definitely the Lord was doing work. things. Uh, but you know, like I was in high school, there was there was a good amount of self centeredness. Yeah, I I don't know if times have changed. I don't know if students have evolved that much. But interestingly, at Christianity Today, there's an article called "Headed Back to College." Evangelical students are eager to talk about race and listen. And here's why I wanted to share this. InterVarsity studied of Christians at secular schools show most feel welcome and want to pursue the common good nice. together. We go. But what this article is saying is that um, students who are going to non-evangelical schools are passionate, like ready, expectant to talk to their fellow classmates about race, racism, mm-hmm. racial, ju- racial justice. They rank Christian students rank racism and equality as a top social Concern. Um, uh, following that, they say, is in the environment, poverty, caring for children in need, and reducing abortion. And I just thought that was interesting because I don't remember caring about much. No, and I think there's a couple different reasons as I think about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think one is that uh, we live in a world right now with social media and stuff where kids, I call them kids, right? Students, students. Are, are being, they're learning more. They're seeing more. Mm-hmm. They're seeing what's going I didn't. I wasn't going to sit down and watch the nightly news with my That's parents. That's a good point. And we so didn't have access the way students do now. So therefore, right? when I'm a high school kid, I don't know what's going on in Afghanistan. I don't, you know, what? how much would I have known about what happened with George Floyd right. in Minneapolis? Right. I think about when I was in high school was the Rodney King riots mm-hmm. in L.A. And I remember that even being different. Mm-hmm. And so that's one. Uh, and I think that's a big deal. I think, too, as we often talk about on this show, we live in such partisan times right now. Yeah. I do think the partisanship of us as adults uh, that I think has a lot to do with President Trump has a lot to do with our cable news mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. I think that is filtered down to our students and they're going, well, I don't believe that. Right. And so I'm going to speak up about that. Uh, I don't think that's what it means to be a Christian. So I'm going to speak up. I think the same way a lot of us are wanting to speak up about certain things. I feel that way with students. And the last thing is students just feel like I was exactly this way when I was in college. You just feel like you know more. You think you know everything. You think right? you're smarter than yeah. your parents. And yeah. I, I really genuinely thought that I was. And now I'm going, oh, wait, no, I'm the parent now. I see. <laughs> oh, I, I get see. it. I yeah. actually have wisdom that they don't have. Well, I thought this article was interesting. One of the things that it says is students don't draw hard borders. Mm. They don't draw sort of thick lines or boundaries between one another. That's uh, Tom Lynn, the president and CEO of InterVarsity. He told that to Christianity Today. They are willing to cross them, to interact with each other, and to do things together. And I I think that's true. The Gen Z Christians that I know really want to connect with people. They really want to connect with people of other faiths. They really want to connect with people of other social concerns, of other ethnicities. And they're willing to cross lines that maybe us older generations want to but yep. don't necessarily know how to or 
or just don't. Yeah, like, I think that's a good and a bad, right? Mm, so the good side is uh, there's less tribalism. Yeah. There's less uh, us versus them. There's more working for the common good. Mm-hmm. There's crossing, you know, racial lines, uh, religious lines, socioeconomic, gender, whatever else it might be. So that's on the good side. Yeah. What I have seen in students is the negative side of this is then there's nothing that's uh, that separates. Different. There's nothing yeah. that you never are able to call something right or wrong. Mm. You're never able to say um, everything's preferential and, mm. and there seems to be a squishiness to it. So I think it's a both end. If, if this next generation can hold on to um, the ability to cross bridges and work with people yeah. different from them, then that's awesome. Uh, but my hope is that they can also hold on to what makes Christianity distinctive necessarily? Like, it's not just what what's the preferences or how do we right, do this, right. but what necessarily makes Christianity distinctive from belief system X, Y, or Z? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really interesting thought. That while we have a lot to learn from this incoming freshman class and their activism and their passion and their willingness to cross borders, what we want to remember for all of us is that we are marked by the Holy Spirit. We're mm-hmm. people of Jesus, and that ultimately, like. I I pray that the incoming class of freshmen don't forget who they are. And in these relationships, they call people to Christ. So as people are calling them to stretch yes. their beliefs, they call people to Christ. And I don't know, maybe we'll see some cool things happen. But anyway, I was not that ahead. I was I just wasn't thinking outside of no, myself as no, a freshman. Not at all. Definitely not. Not at all. Well, uh, coming up next, we are joined by Colin Hansen. He's the Vice President for Content and Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition. He's also the co-author of Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. We're going to talk to him about that. We're going to talk to him about a really interesting article that he wrote for the New York Times called What We Lose When We Live Stream Church. I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Be sure to stick around for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined by Colin Hansen, Vice President for Content and Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition. He's also the host of the Gospel Bound podcast and co-author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. And Colin is here to talk to us about his new book that he co-wrote with Dr. Jonathan Lehman, Rediscover Church. Why the body of Christ is essential. Colin, that was a long bio, but we're so thankful to have you today. You're making me sound like I've been busy. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing a lot. Colin, we're so thrilled to have you with us today. For folks who don't know you, uh, is there anything else you want to tell us about yourself, where you're from, your family, what you're doing right now? Goodness, I'm a a farm boy from South Dakota, thinks field of dreams. That's basically my life. I lived in Chicago, went to Northwestern, and then to Trinity. Uh, in Chicago, so spent a lot of my adult years in Chicago, now live in Birmingham, Alabama. I've been working for the Gospel Coalition for the last 11 years, and also I'm an adjunct professor here at Basin Divinity School. So, yeah, fun times, but Chicago is uh, near and dear to me for many reasons. Wow, we love hearing that. That's great to have you with us, Colin. And everyone, once they heard you say, like, your childhood was like Field of Dreams after last week watching <laughs> that White Sox game, everybody wants your childhood. That's right. <laughs> I know. That was, that. I'm telling you, I played nine-man football in South Dakota in the middle of the cornfield. Come so on, that's amazing. That thing. That's great. That's awesome. Well, Colin, you had the opportunity on August 8th, so a week or so ago, to write an opinion piece at the New York Times, a big deal. 
You wrote an opinion piece called What We Lose When We Live Stream Church. So many of us wrestling still, you know, 18 months into a pandemic about live stream or in person or all of this stuff. So kind of a two-part question. Why did you write this piece for the New York Times? And maybe you can answer that question. What are some of the things that we lose when we live stream church? Well, I was just grateful for the opportunity. I've gotten to know some of the, the folks working at the New York Times, and you'd be surprised by some of the things that you see pop up in there. One of my favorite writers, Ross Dowsett, over the years, one of the columnists there, and even just this last Sunday, he wrote a kind of pre-evangelistic appeal to Christianity in the mm. New York Times. So sometimes it's surprising what you can get there, but <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, there's, there's it's an unparalleled opportunity to be able to really testifying to the incarnation of Christ, the resurrection of Christ there. I got a note from uh, the president at Northwestern afterward. He said, hey, I saw you in the Times. Congratulations. Love the article. He's actually, he's he's Jewish, and he was, I mean, a lot of the things can actually translate across from churches to synagogues Mm -hmm. that I wrote about in there. So that that was what I was excited about with the Times. But as it connected to some of the things, what I think about is, an experience that happened to me uh, about a month and a half ago. I was sitting in the back of the church. I think maybe, I can't remember what the situation was. We've got a newborn baby, so my mind isn't really, uh, you know, <laughs> right now. But I'm, I'm sitting in the back of the church. I'm normally up front, but I'm sitting in the back. There's a guy I didn't know in there, and I just introduced myself, asked him, you know, if he'd been visiting long. And he said, yeah, I've been a, I've been a drug addict, and mm. I've been in a mission house mm. over here. And I just got to talk with him, and I mean... I never would have had that opportunity, you know, on a live stream. That doesn't, you know, to be able to That's minister right. to him true. and learn That's from right. him. I'll give you, I'll give you another quick, quick one. This last week, I was talking with one of my friends. He came up to me and he said, "Hey, Colin, I want to get together. I've been reading the Bible the last three months, and I'm actually pretty upset about what I've read. I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> wow! wow. Like, Can we have lunch this week? And I was like, I would love nothing more than to sit down and talk with you about the Bible. But those kinds of you know, interactions don't happen through a live stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if you have to be outside and distance and mask, I know it's, a, it's still a crazy time out there, but it's worth it to continue to gather. That's why uh, the body of Christ, that physical gathering, it's essential to our growth as Christians. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And Colin, what would you say for the Christian out there who is still maybe hesitant? You know, they, they're they still watching the COVID numbers. They're feeling a little bit of anxiety. Their pastor's calling them back to meet locally, but they're not quite there. What sort of word of encouragement would you give to them? Well, sadly, there are some people whose circumstances simply make it impossible for them to be able to meet. We don't even have to talk about people who are simply apprehensive mm. about this. We can talk about shut-ins. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talk about all kinds of people yeah. who, for health reasons, have prevented us from worship. I wrote in the New York Times that I think one thing that would be great would be to revive the habit of visitation, mm. uh, to be able to take the, you know, the elements of communion, to, to, you know, to pray together, to, to worship together however you can with people who can't come uh, you know, to the to public gathering there. So there are other ways to be able to do this, I do think a live stream in certain circumstances can be a kind of uh, contingency, a kind of bridge there. But overall, I would simply say that if you don't notice the difference between the live stream and the church, then it probably means that you didn't have the right idea of church mm. in the first place. Yeah. So that's really what I want to focus on there. I just encourage you to say, this is an opportunity for you to rediscover what the church is really all about. And so yeah. let's start the conversation there. 
And Colin, I want to drill down on that just a little bit. Aubrey and I are both pastors, and you know we talk to lots of pastors. Lots of our friends are pastors. And almost every church that I know of currently up here, at least, uh, is seeing less people physically. And of course, some of that's COVID-related, but a lot of it is just people not coming back. And I totally think you're right, right. about it means people had the wrong view of the church going in. Uh, as we kind of look and try to diagnose that issue, what are some of the misconceptions do you think that that's kind of bringing to light that maybe people had about the church that's causing them not to come back after COVID? And I love that question. And unfortunately, I, mean, I think this is a time of seriousness and vigilance for the church. It's one reason why I'm encouraged that, that, our, that our publisher, we may talk about this a little bit, they're, they're making a lot of copies of this book mm-hmm. available to churches because I'm not, I'm not joking when I say I think this is the biggest challenge the Western church has faced since the Black Death in the 14th century. Wow. Wow. Because what I'm, what I'm hearing, I'm hearing, guys, is up to a 33%, somewhere between 20 and 33% drop off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I haven't heard as much in terms of financial, which should also tell us something. We're not seeing a financial crisis yet That's in right. churches. But my own church, I would estimate our attendance is down by about 33%. Our membership is down by 20%. Yeah, mm. yeah. And the biggest misconception I see is that church is for the people who affirm me and agree with me on everything. Mm, wow. And if the leaders don't agree with me on everything, then I need to either stick with the teachers at home on my podcasts or whatever right. that, you know, that, that affirm me and all that. Um, but that, I mean, that, that's just, that's what I see consistently is like, I, I need my pastors to agree with me on everything. So if they say the wrong thing on politics, mm. if they say the wrong thing on race, if they do the wrong thing on masks or on vaccines, mm-hmm. then I'm just, I'm just not going to go. Mm. That is a revolution that, you know, we can talk about further, but I think it's a revolution that's been largely affected by the Internet in the mm. last 20 years. Yeah. And it, it is a fundamental reshaping of how people perceive church. Instead of seeing the church as an opportunity for authority, mm-hmm. which is what the Bible depicts, proper, biblical, godly authority, instead people come to church expecting affirmation from the outside voices. Wow. Well, no wonder pastors feel completely inadequate mm-hmm. and unprepared, because by definition, they're basically just being judged on their political alignments and performance. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, judged on their performance compared to every other great preacher on TV, right. on podcast, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. And remember, now it's live streaming. All of a sudden, all these people who weren't even online are now online. So right. now every church is competing with every other church's live stream. Mm. Well, no wonder people aren't coming back That's because, right. hey, I want to go to the beach on Lake Michigan, <laughs> and I'll just tune in on the live stream on Tuesday night or something like that when it's convenient. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I'm going to find a much, quote-unquote, better preacher. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow, Colin, you are That's putting it. your finger on something that is very real. I'm so glad we're talking about this conversation with Colin Hansen. He's the vice president for content and editor-in-chief of the Gospel Coalition. He's also the co-author of Rediscover Church why the body of Christ is essential and Crossway is doing something very cool with the book. Can you talk to us about what they're doing and why they're doing it? Yeah. So years ago, years ago, I, I thought about putting together a book with my friend, Jonathan Lehman. He works for nine marks, which has helped up to build healthy church. It's just a basic book that gets in the hands of everybody in a church that just says, what are we doing here? Mm. What is this for? What's baptism? What, what are these sacraments? Mm. What's membership? What is discipline? How are we supposed to get along with each other? What are we, 
What should a church be doing for outreach? What are some things maybe a church should be doing? What does the Bible say? Basic, basic stuff. Then the pandemic hit, and we realized how incredibly urgent that is for all the reasons that we've already been talking about here. Just so much confusion about what the church is for and why we should even bother with it, why why we should bother to go back. This great reset. Everybody's opted out of church by necessity. Now everybody has to opt back in. So then we decided to really cater this project called Rediscover Church, where the body of Christ is essential, to this moment in time. And then a crossway right there in Wheaton is just one of the most generous publishers you'll ever find and been tremendously successful in a lot of different a lot of different titles recently. And mm-hmm. they, they just decided, hey, we want to give away 400,000 copies. That's awesome. Of this book. And we wanna, we're going to give 20, we're going to send them for free, a case of 20, to up to 20,000 churches. That's awesome. And all they have to do, give us, give us that information, and we'll send them out there and have them take a look at these. So they've got until today, until August 30th, all you got to do, go to thegospelcoalition.org or tgc.org. It's right there on our front page, the giveaway. Just click on that, and you'll get some information about how to get it. But I was just, I was just blown away. Yeah, that's said, amazing. Hey, how would you like, you know, as an author, I don't make any money on those books. So <laughs> right. It's like a self-interested thing for me. I don't make any money off those giveaways. But it's just so exciting because what every author wants is for people to actually have to deal with the, the argument, to right. deal with the case and hopefully be changed by that. So yeah. a publisher like Crossway is so generous, you just say, hey, sign me up, let's do it. That's awesome. 400,000, that is no small amount of books. No that is unbelievable. Again, books. go to thegospelcoalition.org. That's thegospelcoalition.org, and there you can see uh, how to get your church some of these books. Colin, going back to what we were talking about before, we, we did a good job, I think, of diagnosing the issue at play coming out of COVID. People saying, hey, why why would I even go back to church and some of the dropout rates and stuff? Now, put yourself in the shoes of pastors and church leaders right now. What are one or two things that you would be doing right now? Because your church has kind of been taken down to the foundations, to the studs. What are the first right. things you would be doing, maybe making changes? Or how, how would you be approaching this time right now? I think, I love that question, I think pastors often get confused trying to compete with the broad world of content creators, Mm. and I just have to say, the internet destroys all of that. So essentially, (laughs) your music can be great, there's always going to be better music on the internet. Right. Your preaching can be great, there's always going to be better preaching on the internet. Your Sunday school classes can be great, always going to be better books out there and available cheaply, uh, widely available. I encourage pastors to focus on the things only you can do. Mm. It's bringing the word of God to bear on a particular group of people that you know, mm. you know their concerns, you know their fears, you know their hopes, you know their loves, and to build a loving, committed, dedicated in some ways, countercultural community mm-hmm. of believers. Now, at the Gospel Coalition, I can't do that. That's not my job. Right. My yep. job is I can just do great podcasts, articles on a wide variety of topics. You know, come to us, search if you want. If you want to know about all kinds of things, about how you can pray for pastors and and Christians in Afghanistan right now. Mm-hmm. That's what we can do. But we can't do any of that. Church pastors should be focusing on those essentials. What are things that we alone can do? 
that nobody else, and especially you can't get on the Internet. The churches, I think, that do that well are the churches that are going to emerge the strongest mm. through COVID. That's so good. Colin, I, I'm sitting here looking at your table of contents um, for the book that you and Jonathan wrote together. Again, it's called Rediscover Church. One of the questions that you ask is, who can belong to a church? And that question stood out to me. Can you answer that briefly for us? Yeah, part of that I focus on there, just the doctrine of conversion. So mm-hmm. especially, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the Deep South right now after years in Chicago, and things are pretty different in the Deep South where you might have a 1,000 people come to a church, but you have 8,000 members hmm. of that church. It's just considered part of socially acceptable or necessary to belong to a church. But by all accounts, and especially Johnson and I are Baptists, but I think this applies more broadly, certainly to Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Anglicans as well. But there's a sense in which to be truly belonging as a member is somebody who has committed to walking in Christ, you know, walking... Uh, you know, following Christ yeah. with other believers. They've yeah. been committed to encourage one another, challenge one another. And you can't do that with somebody who actually has never professed that faith. Mm-hmm. That, that person who just says, I mean, I can't be a good real estate agent unless I have a church membership. Yeah. Or I can't run for office unless I have that. So when it comes to belong, it means, well, I mean, it, it's not about a, a class, it's not about money, it's not about ethnicity or interest or anything like that. It's just about, do you belong to Christ? And are you committed to this body of believers of encouraging and challenging and supporting and helping them in all those ways? If that's, what, if that's who you are, you can belong yeah. uh, to a church. So it's really focusing there on just the doctrine of conversion, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that comes when we believe in Christ. That's powerful. And Colin, uh, we're grateful for how much time you've given us today. With the last couple of minutes we have left, we you do so much work thinking about church. You've written about church. The Gospel Coalition is about the church and trying to build up the church. Uh, and this is a weird time, as we've been saying, for the church, coming out of the pandemic and for all sorts of different reasons. So I would just simply ask you and let you speak to this. Uh, are you hopeful for the future of the church? And if so, what makes you hopeful for the future of the church? Yeah, so earlier this year, you guys have mentioned this book that I did called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. In there, we have story after story after story. You know, we've talked about it before, even in this show and this station, but we've got story after story after story there of the, I mean, I actually just had a friend write me today say, I'm re- I cannot put down the chapter here about Chinese believers mm. and how persecution is not the biggest threat. It's actually money. Wow. You know, being too rich like that. That's what Jesus said. And so that's what, you know, they she just said, I'm so encouraged by that. So everywhere I look, I see all kinds of reasons, not just the promises of Christ mm-hmm. himself that cannot be broken. I put our, we put our ultimate hope in that. But I see all kinds of evidence everywhere we can look for that. Here's the difference, though. That's not going to be the stuff that gets the attention in most media. That's right. Yeah. Most media is going to give you the opposite impression. So if you're only sort of passively consuming the latest podcast, the latest best-selling book, a lot of what's popular right now is designed to show you that the church is falling apart Mm. unless you adopt this political position or this social position Mm -hmm. there. Those are the messages people are hearing. I'm really worried that it's actually making people pessimistic and angry uh, if I speak about God and angry about other believers, yeah. and I just don't think it's the full story. I think it's a lot of people trying to sell books, mm. and unfortunately it's, it's working. So a lot of hope, 
you just got to be consistent to look for it and start in your own church. Yeah. You yeah. start asking people in your own church about how God's working in their lives. You'll be hopeful too. That's yeah, that's great. Well, Colin, thanks so much for being here with us today. Again, you can go to the gospel gospelcoalition.org, click on the article Crossway to give away four hundred thousand copies of Rediscover Church to find out how you or your church can get their copy. You can also connect with Colin on Twitter at Colin Hansen. Colin, we so appreciated your time with us thanks, today. Colin. Thank you. Love being here. Stick around. We'll be sharing some encouraging words with you when we return. You're listening to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Stop dancing to even introduce our show. Hey, everybody, this is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co host Brian Fromm, and uh, you're listening to The Common Good on this Monday afternoon. It is a beautiful Monday, and we are so thrilled that you're here with us today. We like to send you out the end of every show with some words of encouragement, some words to kind of keep you going, and Basically, what I did, Brian, is I kind of copied you because you like to just read tweets to me I and really have do. me respond. So I, really I am do. taking a note from you. <laughs> I found some encouraging tweets, and I'm just going to read them to you, and you can say what you think. Okay, I'm ready. All right, you ready? Okay. The first one is not, I mean, okay, it's from Leslie Newbegin, but Leslie Newbegin is not alive anymore. He died in 1998. He tweeted from beyond the grave? Isn't that crazy? Unbelievable. His ghost. I told you ghosts are real. I believe in ghosts. <laughs> and they tweet. Of all the things they could do, they tweet. <laughs> they tweet. So Leslie Newbegin, who is sort of the father of missional church movement, um, he, this is a quote from his, okay? Here's what he says. The best apologetic of the gospel is a church that believes it, lives it, and proclaims it. Mm. What do you think about that? First, I would think most missional church people would say that <laughs> Peter was the uh, <laughs> was the father of the... Oh, oh, oh. Yes. But uh, Leslie Newbegin there, uh, that's a great word, that the best apologetic of the gospel. A lot of times we think, if I just say it, it's all about what we say, right? It's all about what we preach. We have yeah. to preach the... Absolutely, you need to. Like, I think one of the worst things that became like a trendy thing to say in the last decade or so was when you'd always hear this, right? Uh, yes, I know exactly. the gospel, and when necessary, use, use words. words. You need to use words. You have to use words. The That's words are, the proclamation. It's a big part of it yes. here. But I do think he's saying, he's making a great point, that especially in this world where, let's be honest, the evangelical church is not doesn't have the greatest reputation amongst non-believers right yeah. now. That, that the proclamation is essential, but not enough. He's saying that it needs to be lived out. It needs to be believed deeply. Mm-hmm. People will, here's what it is. People are going to know, Aubrey, if you, if you, if I'm your neighbor and you share the gospel with me. Yeah. I'm going to be able to tell if you actually believe this. <laughs> That's a really or good this point. This is kind of like, you know, hey, I'm selling you a timeshare here yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And more than that, I'm going to have seen your life and know if you're living it mm-hmm. in any way. Like, if I'm looking at you going, yeah, but you're a bad neighbor. Right. Like, you're kind of a jerk. No, you're not. But Thank if, you. If Appreciate I were, that. If that's the conclusion I came to as your neighbor, what, what would I care about your gospel? Right. And so it does that's need to be point. proclaimed, but Newbegin makes the essential point here. It needs to be proclaimed. We need to believe it in mm-hmm. our core first before mm-hmm. we can share it in any compelling way. And there is a living out of the gospel that's essential. So, yeah, amen. I think this is all true. Yeah, I think that's great. Okay, here's another one. This is from Jennifer Dukes-Lee. Here's what she says. These all have similar themes. Okay. Do you want to share Jesus with the world in the coming week? Simply take those beautiful feet of yours and walk the path with others. Serve, bow low, give, slow down, and really be present with people. Offer comfort, even in your own discomfort. Love. 
With simple acts of service, people will see Jesus alive in you. Your life will preach a sermon even when your lips aren't moving. Yeah, for a lot of the same reasons we said, I think that is beautifully written. Now, it gets a little close to what we talked about before. I was before. just thinking that. It does. She did say, when your lips aren't moving, it gets a little close to the just live it out and uh-huh. people are going to know. No, I think it's a both and. It's a both and. People need to see it. People need to hear it. Yep. But she starts to flesh it out some here with what What do we do? Uh, we serve. We walk alongside other people. We put others above ourselves. We give of ourselves. We slow down and be present. A lot of this is very Jesus language, mm-hmm. right? Offer comfort, uh, even at your own discomfort, and then love. <clears throat> Her point is well taken. Uh, it's what we talked about earlier, that... We need to proclaim, but our lives also need to be, need to show that yeah. we believe that which we are yeah. proclaiming. And if I am just selfish, if I am uh, materialistic, if I am, if it's all about me, if I am what a lot of people are used to in our world, but I'm just a Christian who does it. Yeah, nobody's gonna care. Right? Nobody's right. gonna care. But if I'm different, uh, not even for the sake of being different. But if I am able to, if, if my actions match this gospel that I pre- mm-hmm. that I talked to you about, that's when it becomes. Comp- I mean, you agree with that, right? Like that's what we see in the people that that we most admire. I, I think when I think of the speakers, the pastors, the Christians that yeah. I most admire, it's quite simply that their life matches not perfectly, but in some way their life matches that which they're proclaiming. Yeah, I, I think Psalm 101 talks about integrity as people who are the same inside of their house as they are outside mm-hmm. of their house. And that's that's what I feel like this is. Like, let's be people of integrity, not perfection, not like I'm better than you morally, but people who really do live what they're proclaiming, like not just walk the talk, but talk the walk. And I think that, that is compelling, mm-hmm. and it shows like we've truly encountered Jesus. And so there's something like we're, we're when we're proclaiming the gospel to you, it's because we want you to encounter this God that we love, who compels us to love and gives us peace and transforms our lives and yes. our marriages. And anyway, I, I I'm encouraged by this. Like, let's not just have all the right things to say because mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's where we get stuck. But let's and this live also, this gospel. This allows us to also take the pressure off of ourselves to have to always know what to say. Yeah, that sometimes. The, what people are seeing in my life will even trump my inability to answer mm. why do bad things happen to good people mm. or explain to me exactly how heaven and hell were. Yeah. There's a lot of questions that I don't have the definitive answers to, yeah. but but that uh, this takes away the pressure to have to have all of those answers. Yeah, that's good. Okay, this one's a little bit esoteric. This is from Reverend Dr. Glenn Packiam. I know his wife through our publisher, Nav Press. Um, but he says this. All right, I would love to know pastorally what you think mm. about this as we send people home in a couple second, couple minutes. We think of salvation as being from a place, from hell or earth. But Paul speaks of salvation being not from a place, but from a time, mm. from this present evil age. Even though this present age continues, Christians belong to the age to come. We live in a different time zone. Ooh, that's good. That's deep. That's what do you really think good. about that? I, it's it's. It feels like it, um, like it's somewhat obvious, but it's actually transformational mm. when you think about it. We think about 
oh, if I could just go into the suite by and by, right? Like if I could, do I'm, <laughs> yeah. But that in fact, uh, our our struggle is with this present age. I like how he says that this present age, but that we live in the age to come. It's that already not mm-hmm, yet. That's good. That we struggle with that already not yet is really difficult, and but it answers so many theological questions that we have. And knowing that Jesus says, "I will be present with you always in the already not yet." But that yours, there's coming a day where these things will not be part of your reality. I really like how he says that because we also don't want to live a theology that just says, I'm just waiting to be taken out of here. Yeah. That's not helpful. No, we're on mission That's now good. in this That's present good. age. But our hope is, it's, it's Paul, right? It's Paul in the book of Philippians saying, for me to live is Christ. Now, yes. to die is gain. There's, there's, there's a, that's when I'm home. That's my different time zone that he's talking about. So I think he, I just love when people can tweet things that you I believe, know. but you go, man, that's so you well. You just said this so I mean, you're a writer. well. You should be able to do that. I, right? I, you know, I don't know. Glenn Packiam <laughs> has an anointing I don't have for Twitter. Well, we hope that encourages you, today, encourages you today as you end your Monday evening listening to the show. Maybe you're headed to a great dinner with your family. It's beautiful outside right now. It is gorgeous outside. Go Keep enjoy that weather. Go enjoy dinner. And remember to live believe, proclaim, and live the gospel that we all follow. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to tune in tomorrow from 4 to 6 right here on AM 1160. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. You've been listening to The Common Good. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.